Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street podcast sponsored by the Maryland Association of Counties. I am Kevin Canale, Policy Associate here at MAKO, joined as always by my co-host, MAKO's Executive Director, Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? Doing great, Kevin. Great. And today we are going to focus on federal tax reform and specifically how some of the potential options on the table could affect Maryland and Marylanders. And the goal here today, we're going to talk about federal tax reform, uh, and then we're going to lead into big, exciting things coming up uh, in Maryland. So some hearings, some debates. We want to get you a what's on tap uh, for Maryland in the coming days and weeks. Before we get into discussion on federal tax reform, when Michael, when you and I sat down and we talked about making this a topic for the podcast, I had two general thoughts. Okay, all right. So first of all, Mako doesn't do a lot of federal work, and this doesn't really seem to be our strong suit. That's what NACO, the National Association of Counties, is for. They're working hard on this stuff, right? I mean, you're, you're right that this, this isn't really – this isn't our strong suit. This isn't what the Maryland Association of Counties focuses on. We're not in the federal business by and large. Um, but, I mean, even though NACO is looking out on these issues – and they are connecting with county people across the country on this, and they're talking to members of Congress, they don't have the ability to focus on Maryland right. the way we have. And and to be honest, there are some specific things in Maryland that I think are unusual effects of, of what's what's on the table now. So, And that, I think that's why it's relevant for us to raise this. Even though MACO as an association, we haven't taken a position on the federal tax bill. It's unlikely that we will. Right. But uh, I think it's, it, it's a front and center kind of issue. Sure. So, so that makes a lot of sense. And the second thought I had was you and I could sit here for hours and talk about tax reform, but a lot of this stuff is technical and boring, and I was concerned that maybe we put our listeners to sleep. I don't know. I take some offense to that. I actually I, I kind of dig tax policy. I but, do, too. I do, but, too. Yeah. We probably can't count on listeners being um, maybe as 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 in the weeds as we might be on this. So, so okay. In talking about this, we'll commit to let's make this digestible and approachable, and um, just try and try and you know uh, just just keep it simple. All right. Well, that <laughs> sounds fair enough. So that's what we'll do, and we'll go ahead and start this conversation uh, by saying that. This is a big issue, federal tax policy. Uh, you've heard about it on the news. There was an article in the Baltimore Sun today about some of the options on the table and how it could affect Maryland. We think this is really relevant to, to talk about. Um, this is a big agenda item for Congress, sure. right, Michael? This is the next big one. It's big, it's complicated, and we don't necessarily have all the details. No, I mean, there, there's a sketch that's that's been released by a working group of several members of Congress um, but this, you're right, this lines up as the next big thing. As, as leadership in the majority party in, in both chambers of Congress um, are, are looking through an agenda of things they want to accomplish this year, uh, this is next up. It's definitely uh, the, the hot topic in Congress right now. And with the details just coming out last week, right. folks like us and you know, these various think tanks are still sifting through it. Yeah, sure. And I, I, so let's talk about the difference here between tax reform and tax cuts, <laughs> right? So tax law is incredibly complicated. And I think when we talk about tax reform, we're talking about taking a, a flamethrower to the tax <laughs> law, right? Just burning it up and starting over um, and making 
uh, more of a, a you know concerted effort to fix the mess that's on the table, right? right? And, that, and that that's that always sounds great on the campaign trail, right? Folks right. say, you know, we got this. Everybody likes to campaign with with a, a photograph of here's a copy of the tax code, yes. and it's the this many thousands of pages and all these different rules, and unless it's your company or your family affected by the specific thing, it seems like, well, why did, you know, why is it so complicated? Can't we just fill out our taxes on a postcard? Right. Right, I mean, I've seen this picture of the postcard. And and so, um, that's, that's part of what, um, gets people talking and interested in tax reform as opposed to just tax cuts. Right. right? And tax reform may start with tax cuts, but for it to be true reform, it'll take much more than that, right? It's going to take creating simplicity, fewer loopholes, deductions, rates, fewer confusing elements in general. That's what we're talking about with tax reform. And I, and I think that's motivating a, a lot of people who are interested in this, um, both in terms of having America's tax rates be competitive internationally, mm-hmm. uh, but also to, to bring some some streamlining to the system. And at, at the same time, I'm not sure... You know, we'll, we'll see what, what the congressional and presidential priorities look like. But at the moment, most folks in Washington are talking about some sort of a, you know, a budget-neutral proposal that you can reshuffle the deck and gain revenue in different ways than we do today. Not, not simply slash everybody's tax bill and everyone's a winner and, and we just you know, call it a day. So that may be the path of least resistance. Obviously, this is a big priority item for the Congress and the White House right now. Uh, Again, they're looking for a big win here. And after some of the recent issues with failing to repeal and replace Obamacare, I think there's a lot of pressure to get this done. So maybe instead of big tax reform, we're going to talk about shifting funds and maybe some tax cuts. But as as you would imagine, like the other these other issues, the the devil's in the details here. And that's some of the details are what we want to talk about here and why this is a little more interesting for the state of Maryland. Okay, so Michael, let's talk about the details here, at least what we know, and what is on the table here? What are we thinking in terms of how this will affect Maryland? So so in the, the structure of what's on the table with federal tax reform, you can see the details if you if you look at any of the large papers that have been covering this, and I don't think I don't think we want our mission today to walk through all the details of the plan. Right, but that it, would take yeah all day. <laughs> right. right, but it, but it, in general, the idea is to bring down tax rates. Mm-hmm. We want to bring down tax rates on corporations and make our corporate uh, income tax rate more competitive, or me- even maybe lower than an international level. Uh, the idea bring some of this uh, some of this income back to America as opposed to the other tax shelter places and so forth. Um, but the other idea is on individuals, folks who are here who are earning income, you can lower the marginal tax rates in the various brackets. So we've got a handful of brackets in the current system. You could adjust those tax rates and bring them down somewhat. Uh, there's other moving parts involved, but all of these involve lowering rates. Right. So if that's all you do, 
you end up with a lot fewer dollars in the till for the federal government. Our budget deficit expands, our national debt grows, and that's a crisis of its own. Sure. So that would be a crisis. And so we have this idea of making this neutral, quote unquote, right? Right. That's 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 the idea, at least at least within some bounds. And and there's going to be a debate about what sort of assumptions do you make about responses to tax cuts and the like. And that's you know that's a political and economic discussion, and that's not really our discussion for mm-hmm. today. But a big element to make this something of a wash from the federal government's perspective is to look at uh, deductions. Sure. So. So the general idea of tax deductions, I mean, we all, you know, we all, we've all heard of phrases like tax write-offs and so forth. But in, in general, the federal government has a long series of policies to define what income is taxable and what is not. Right. And, you know, the general principle is you shouldn't start taxing people at the very first dollar they earn, that some things are absolute necessities just to get by, and there are other things like food and medicine and other things that you just assume folks ought to be, you know, people ought to be spending money on those things without the government intervening. So you start the clock on taxing later than the first dollar. You give some amount of personal exemptions and then certain amount of deductions mm-hmm. based on what you spent money on. So the general framework here is, to seems to be to increase the standard deduction and then limit the classes of income that you can deduct. Is that right? Right, and and this is a big change. So deductibility, um, you know, the standard deduction is a dollar amount that everybody is entitled to. It varies based on how how many how many people are in your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, and then the alternative is if you have specific expenses that are tax deductible and they add up to more than the standard deduction, then you can itemize those items. And that's when you get the extra add-on forms when you file in in April or in the fall. Um, So folks have two ways to go. A taxpayer can either claim the standard deduction, which right now uh, a married couple with two kids, standard deduction is $12,700. So that's a a bundle of spending that we say is tax-free, you don't have to demonstrate where you spent the money, but everybody has health care expenses. Everybody has a variety of different things and, and that, that, they, that they might have deducted if they tallied them up. Everybody gets the base. Right, so that's the easy standard yeah. deduction, and then we get into the more complicated right. deductions. Right, so if you run the numbers and you find out that things that are deductible, and everybody's familiar with um, if you own a home and you pay mortgage interest, that is a deductible item, uh, uh, charitable contributions are a deductible item. There's a wide range of different business expenses and other things like that. It's, I mean, this is why the tax code has thousands of pages is if you're paying on student loans or blah, blah, blah. So if you go through the list of things that are individually deductible, if it comes to more than 12-7, then you fill out that worksheet, you claim those things as itemized deductions, and you take that larger number. Right. And so, I mean, the share of Americans who do this is a variable based on all the sort of socioeconomic you know, differences and that sort of thing. Uh, but there's a couple specific components of deductibility that are really important. One is central for state and local governments. Uh, that is the deductibility of interest on municipal bonds. 
And the second is a really big issue for Maryland taxpayers in particular, and that is the deductibility of your state and local taxes. Okay, so when we're talking about state and local bonds, this is a big deal for infrastructure, right? So right now, uh, those bonds are currently tax-exempt by the Fed. So when you have state and local governments taking these bonds out, particularly I think what we should focus on, uh, the SALT issue and this issue of the bonds, because MAKO talks a lot about infrastructure in Maryland, and this seems like it could hamper infrastructure and growth in Maryland. Is that what you see here? Right. So, I mean, you, you start with the word infrastructure, and that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, we, we talked a little last week about MAKO's priorities, and you see half of that conversation was about infrastructure stuff. We're really focused on roads and bridges. We're really focused on school construction and maintenance, and all this is tied to the infrastructure, the places where we deliver public services. And this is one of those topics where you have close to a bipartisan consensus that this ought to be higher on our national and local priorities than it has been for some time. So when we talk about the potential change here of not being able to uh, have these bonds be tax exempt, I mean, this seems like, you know, there is that that bipartisan support for infrastructure. This seems like the complete opposite of of asking folks to invest in infrastructure, state and local governments to get on board, this seems like a huge roadblock. Yeah, so, I mean, nuts and bolts for for just a minute on this. Uh, As a practical matter, uh, just about every state and local government uses bonds as the way to pay for big capital projects. So you're doing a big highway, or in a lot of places, if you're building a hospital in Maryland, when you're building schools or bridges, Um, when you're doing improvements to your uh, wastewater systems and so forth, all these end up being municipal bonds. Municipal is sort of a catch-all phrase for state, county, cities and towns, all that bundled together. Everything below the federal government in the bond world is called a municipal bond. Um, And so the the core idea behind this, without getting too, too policy geeky, is you shouldn't pay for a school all at one moment right. and say the taxpayers today are going to we're going to raise your taxes for one year and pay for one big school it makes sense you spread the cost out over something that looks approximately like the life of the long term asset so you float a 15 year bond you pay for a road over 15 years and that's a way to sort of say everybody who uses it over its lifespan contributes to the cost yeah so it spreads everything out it's not a one time lump sum of money. And again, those bonds are typically taxed, or right now are tax exempt uh, from uh, federal taxes. So again, is this, this seems like the complete opposite of what the feds, the state and the locals are talking about seems to be bipartisan. And, and, And this isn't a new idea. The idea of the federal government looking at state and local bonds and saying this is something that should not be taxable. If you're an investor in these bonds and you're, you're earning interest by, by effectively loaning, govern, loaning the state government or your county government the money so they can do an infrastructure project, um, you earn interest for giving them that money. Uh, and the, the feds built this in to the, the very initial stages of the federal income tax. This is not a new idea. It's been in on the ground floor. Right. So, But if we want to lower tax rates, and like we said earlier, we want this to be, quote-unquote, neutral, this is, this is where 
the federal government, or at least these plans are looking to make up for that lost income from deductions yeah. uh, from, you know, people's so, taxes. So you got two effects working in the same direction here. One is by dramatically increasing the standard deduction, the vanilla amount you get without having to itemize, you almost certainly uh, will dramatically reduce the number of people who actually go through the trouble of itemizing. Right. So that's 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 good for simplicity, but it also means you'll have an awful lot of people who might I don't know if the you know if that family standard deduction is twelve seven now if it goes to twenty four thousand like they're putting on the table mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of people when they run the numbers on their itemized they're at fifteen eighteen twenty they itemize today and they won't itemize with a twenty four thousand dollar standard um, and then when you just say this is an item that's going to be off the table I mean part of what part of the the, the the game plan that we've seen so far is to really, really dramatically reduce the um, the uh, the uh, the deductibility of lots of different things. So maybe mortgage interest stays, maybe charitable deductions stay, but just about everything else is is fair game to be picked off that list. Sure. So that sounds like tax reform, right? Simplicity, <laughs> the postcard argument that right. everything should be easy. Just take the standard deduction. So it seems like going in the right direction. Right. So back to devils in the details. Right. There's an awful lot of, you know, reasonable people who would agree with both. I'd like the income tax system to be simpler and they would agree with I think our infrastructure needs to be a higher priority. Yeah. And now you've got these two ideas at odds with each other potentially. I mean, just for Maryland Okay, I mean, the dimensions of this bonding idea, this is not a trivial thing. I mean, the the state of Maryland does general obligation bonds more than a million, uh, excuse me, a billion with a B, a billion dollars a year. Um, This is a relatively big business. Just between now, we're, we're recording this in early October. Between now and the end of this calendar year, County governments are going to the bond market for their own billion dollars, more than a billion dollars of county bonds. So we're talking about big money. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our friends at the National Association of Counties have been running the numbers on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in the state of Maryland, if you get rid of the tax deductibility of, of local, you know, state and local bonds, um, that's going to drive up the interest rate that you've got to pay people. And the effect of the effect of that on on our bonds in this state is like a half a billion dollars a year. I mean that's a that's a big that's a cataclysmic change in the cost of building schools, building roads, building water systems, stuff that everybody wants. Yeah, and it, it disincentivizes people maybe from it's from doing those things like you're saying, schools, roads. Yeah. Water treatment plants. I mean, if this is half a billion dollars that we're talking about, that money's right. not going to come out of thin air. Right. So, so as a, as a practical matter, I mean, I sort of jumped to a conclusion there, but I think I think everybody who follows municipal bonds agrees that one of the things that makes municipal bonds an attractive investment is that they're tax exempt. Mm-hmm. So, if you're an investor, you run the numbers and you look at state of Maryland or you know one of the large counties in Maryland who have AAA bond ratings. We probably are the densest AAA. That's the best possible bond rating. We're we have some of the best investments in the municipal market in the world. Yes. So folks love to invest in a Maryland bond or a Prince George's County bond. Sure, it's a great, safe, solid investment, 
and you don't have to pay income taxes. So you can count, you know, if you're, if you're paying, if you're getting paid two and a half percent interest on a Maryland bond, and that's, that's the ballpark of what we're paying as interest Mm -hmm. right now, you're taking two and a half percent. You get the whole thing tax free. That's great. Yes. Now you pull, yeah, you, you pull the plug on the tax deductibility and now you say, well, for the amount of risk that I'm taking and the inconvenience of not having the cash available, I want two and a half in the bank. Right. You got to pay me three and a half so that I can run the numbers and take you know take the federal taxes and so forth so forth off the top. I'm going to demand three and a half or four percent interest so that what's left at the end of the day is my two and a half percent. This is this isn't complicated math. Right. It's just an investor being smart. So, so obviously, this this issue of, of state and local bonds being currently tax exempt and that being potentially in jeopardy is a major issue. And after the break, we're going to get into SALT and how that also could have a major impact on the state of Maryland. We'll talk SALT when we come back. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast, sponsored by the Maryland Association of Counties. Kevin Canale and Michael Sanderson back with you to discuss salts, and then we will get into what's on tap in Maryland, what's upcoming. Now, Kevin, Kevin now, all right, so we're going to talk about salt, <laughs> and that sounds like a margarita glass, and we're going to follow up with what's on tap. I mean, is it is it happy hour already? Uh, you know, <laughs> not yet. I wish it was, uh, maybe <laughs> later on, but when we talk about SALT, we are talking, of course, about state and local tax deductions. And Michael, we've talked about how the potential uh, tax reform packages that are on the table could have a major impact on bonds in Maryland. What are we thinking here in terms of SALT, state and local tax deductions, and how these these ideas could affect Maryland specifically? So to to pick up where we left off, if among the premises of tax reform is the idea that you can lower rates and reduce the number and breadth of deductions. Basically, you're going to say we're going to make more of people's income taxable. We're going to reduce the number of special things that you can say are are tax write-offs or tax deductions. And that way, you keep this as relatively budget neutral for the federal government's perspective. One of the things in that mix is citizens right now, your taxpayers have the ability to itemize your, your pr- property taxes, generally speaking, a local government revenue here mm-hmm. in Maryland. There's a state component as well. And your income taxes, in most states, income taxes are just by the state. Maryland is unique where every single county government levies an income tax. So we are de- uh, heavily dependent on income taxes in Maryland. And that's why this is a big issue in Maryland. So looking at some numbers here, the total amount deducted by households through SALT in 2015 in Maryland only 
was $17.51 billion. Right. It's, it's, it, we're talking about real money here. Yes. And, and Maryland is at the top of the list in terms of how many, what, what percent of Maryland tax forms use itemized deductions. Mm-hmm. And the state and local taxes is a big component of that. Uh, because Maryland is heavily dependent on income taxes, you've got a rel- you know, real big number that's hanging right out there, and it gets you pretty quickly above that standard deduction amount. So Marylanders itemize and claim state and local taxes more than in any other state. Okay, so when we're talking about, again, real money here, can you talk a little bit about what exactly uh, the federal government is proposing? It is as simple as we're going to eliminate the state and local tax deduction. And I know that NACO has been doing a lot of work on this, you know, for all states, but just analyzing Maryland, again, another number for you, the number of households in Maryland claiming SALT in 2015, 1,354,360. So we're not just talking about one specific population in Maryland. We're talking about this is a statewide big deal. Yeah, this is almost half of tax returns. It's 45% of returns in Maryland. So we're the, we're the top of the list here. We're, we're potentially the most affected uh, state by this issue. And, and it's, it's the taxpayers in Maryland who are in the mix here. This isn't really about county governments. This isn't, to be candid, this isn't a MACO issue right. on behalf of county governments, but it's a big deal for the state of Maryland. And the principle of state and local taxes being outside of the federal tax system this is another thing written into the federal tax code all the way back at the very beginning in 1913. It's been around for more than 100 years. This is not a new idea, but the new idea is to either completely wipe out this, this deductibility or to limit it substantially. And either one of those has, has a big effect on Maryland taxpayers. Sure. And, and let's get into some of the politics here because, as I said before, and I think everyone agrees on, this is a major Uh, platform agenda item for the GOP and Congress, but they may have some political hurdles, right, Michael? And and specifically when you talk about a state like Maryland, um, what what, what are some of the hurdles that you see them having to to jump over to get this done? Well, I mean, as everybody's spending about the last week or so trying to sift through the beginning details of the tax plan that that literally just got dropped on the street a week ago, one piece of it is you can start lining up the states that are fairly heavily reliant on property and and income taxes and the ones that are not. Okay. And as it turns out, there's a relatively comfortable alignment of red and blue states. Okay. So this has a political dimension that it may be generally fairly attractive if you are um, if you're a member of the Republican caucus and you are generally interested in tax cuts or tax reform, and you happen to be from a state like Texas or Florida or Tennessee, states that are reliably red states, generally speaking, and that have no income tax at the state level at all, you have to think that in, in those states, I mean, this, state and local taxes is a big reason why people would itemize rather than take the standard deduction. Right. So um, in, in a state like Florida, there's an awful lot of folks who don't have the numbers. They just take the standard deduction, and their, their rate of itemizing is way lower than a state like Maryland. So for them, um, you know, raising the standard deduction is great. But if you're in a state like New Jersey 
or Maryland, specifically maybe if you are a Republican congressman from Maryland who ideally, you know, tax reform is a good thing, you want to be on board, but could have a negative impact on your state. So it's not like if you're Florida or Texas where you're a GOP member, you want to do this, and it's not going to have a huge impact on your state. Let's talk about like states like New Jersey and Maryland and how that complicates things for a GOP congressman. Sure. So you, you peel this onion just one layer deeper. If you look at it at the statewide level, you see a bunch of states like Maryland that statewide were a pretty reliably blue state for statewide elections. Um, but take a look at Congressman Andy Harris. Right. Um, and uh, by the way, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan this very day is visiting Andy Harris's district. And, How about that? And talking about tax reform. This How is no it? coincidence, right. Right? right? So, so state by state, this is a pretty easy sell. But then you need to almost all. I mean, certainly in the U.S. Senate, you need just about every Republican on board, even if you're using, you know, the the special rules to make this a. A, a, a special process where you only need a majority rather than 60 votes. We, we don't need to get into the right, deep details. But there of, is a process. Right. So, but I mean, you need pretty close to unanimous support from the Republicans uh, unless you're going to have Democratic support, and we, we don't see that. So, okay, you're Andy Harris or you're a Republican congressman from New York State or Connecticut or, or Maryland, you know, and, and, this is complicated right. because you may, in principle, like the idea of more competitive tax rates. You may have been very much in favor of tax reform. Then you run the numbers and you see statewide in Maryland an awful lot of people who are making forty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. A lot of these folks suddenly end up doing worse in this proposal than they were before. Right. And that suddenly uh, might, you know, that makes this more complicated than, than just I'm voting for tax cuts. And, and we saw with the, the health care debate in Congress and, the, you know, the GOP unable to repeal and replace that there was a split within the Republican Party. And that's why they couldn't get that done. So do you see this item, uh, you know, these states being affected? Is, is this maybe uh, something that is going to split the party like healthcare did and, and potentially be a major roadblock uh, for tax reform? I think that's pretty tough to say. I mean, we're not, uh, to the extent that we try and crystal ball things that are going to happen in Annapolis, right. that's a game right. we have we have some skill at. To, to crystal ball things that are going to happen in Washington is a tough game for the people who actually are in that racket. Exactly. So I think it's tough to forecast what, what might happen. But, I mean, today you mentioned that you know, there's a piece in the Baltimore Sun they're they're citing a report that came from you know, this this think tank and everybody calls themselves a, a nonpartisan think tank, but I but the group this the Institute on Taxation Economic Policy, I think most folks judge them to be a sort of left leaning group. Mm-hmm. So their analysis so far is, is is critical of the changes in rates and is critical of finding you know, middle class taxpayers who are going to pay more, but when they when they run the numbers for a state like Maryland, there's a really wide swath of Maryland taxpayers who would see their taxes go up here. Mm-hmm. And you have to think that that message is going to make it tricky for, you know, at least a fraction of the Republican Party. Absolutely. And, and, and who knows whether, whether the commitment 
at the federal level to having this be more or less budget neutral is a firm one whether that'll last. But as long as that's the case and these details that we've been talking about today, the you know, attacks on infrastructure, I'm not sure I like that. Right. Uh, every 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 quote good job person at this company that that Paul Ryan's visiting today, you know, someone at that company who's making seventy five thousand bucks, it might be happy that the company's going to get a tax cut, but she goes home actually with a tax hike under this. That's a tough sell, right? Yeah. So we'll have to keep a close eye. Obviously, Paul Ryan is on the trail. He is uh, heading to states where this could be an issue and, and selling this idea. But in terms of Maryland, again, and in terms of federal tax reform two major issues that we're keeping an eye on. And again, we're talking about uh, municipal bonds and, you know, currently, again, able to uh, deduct them. And there's proposals on the table that would take that away. Major impact on the state of Maryland. Again, as Michael said, potentially could be viewed as a tax on infrastructure. And then we're talking about SALT. So the state and local tax deduction, again, huge numbers here uh, in the billions that this could potentially cost Marylanders. So two major things to keep an eye on, and uh, we will certainly keep you informed. I want to move on now to what's on tap in Annapolis. And uh, this is not the the margarita, uh, unfortunately, (laughs) but um, we want to talk about what's coming up in Annapolis that we think you will uh, care about and we think you should keep an eye on. So Michael, uh, spending affordability, can you talk about what, what do you have on tap? So the spending affordability committee, um, at, at the risk of this becoming uh, too tedious on fiscal stuff, but hey, if you've listened this far, you can handle the rest. Yeah, I would Sp- say. <laughs> um, s- spending affordability is one of Maryland's structures to give guidance to the governor and legislature for how much the overall budget ought to grow in a given year. Right. And so it's a body that has a number of legislators, but it also has folks from the executive branch and some citizen participation. And their job is to spend some months leading up to the announcement of the governor's budget and make recommendations for overall growth in the budget or progress to be made towards reducing structural deficits, things along those lines. Maryland has a really strong tradition of living within the means of what the spending affordability committee comes up with. So this is a process as part of the reason why Maryland has AAA bonds. Um, It's part of our fiscal prudence and due diligence. Okay, so that's what it's for. Mm -hmm. The reality is the first meeting of spending affordability is sort of the big come-to-Jesus moment for everybody who cares about state finances. So we run the numbers on how things look in the economy, how are revenues keeping up? What does employment look like? What's what are the what are the issues we're worried about in the budget already? Where are things look like we're going to spend over what we allowed for and so forth? Th- this first meeting on on October seventeenth will run I don't know two two and a half hours, but there's no better capsule of where we are fiscally than that meeting. And the report that comes out from the Department of Legislative Services is usually. 60 or 80 pages long, and it is must-read stuff for people who are following Maryland finances. So circle that date on your calendar. October 17th will be a really big day to either watch that meeting or definitely pour through those reports. Absolutely. Uh, very important. And uh, I want to talk about the Kerwin Commission. Uh, their next meeting is uh, October 12th, next Thursday. Again, the Kerwin Commission is a, a group tasked with reviewing a host of 
education finance formulas, accountability, and how uh, our focus is how this is going to affect local governments. So the last meeting, uh, they really seemed to get some legs. Uh, prior to that, this, this commission was not really looking at the recommendations that were made by a consultants. They were talking with experts and not really getting into the nitty-gritty. The next meeting, we expect the dam to break, so to speak. We expect to see a lot of charts, a lot of ideas on the table, and really getting into policy and fiscal stuff. So we do expect that to be a major uh, break, you know, turning point for the current commission potentially. And again, that's next week on the twelfth. Right. And that's and that's they're sort of hitting the gas yes. as we get towards their charge to deliver recommendations by December. Yes. So one, you know. I've sat through a lot of these different task forces and commissions and so forth. And once you start seeing policy options and for, th for something like school funding, once we start seeing sideways tables yes. on paper where yes. you've got 24 counties down one column and then dollars and cents and changes and so forth, it starts getting real. Yeah. And up to this point, we've only seen those uh, tables in the consultants report. And now we think we're going to see some tables that the Kerwin commission is actually going to generate so real dollars and cents and real policy issues. And if there. you're shuffling around, you know, in the neighborhood of $7 billion from the state and a, and a similar amount from the counties, um, this is a really big public enterprise. Yes. So, folks, please uh, keep an eye on this. Of course, we will keep you updated. And it's worth saying that the Kerwin Commission and, and what they've been doing and what they are going to be doing is worth an entire podcast. And I think yeah. we should probably do a podcast on schools funding and the Kerwin Commission specifically. Write it down. Okay. And uh, one other item, um, the Senate Finance Committee and the House Governmental Operations Committee are holding a joint discussion on 911. That's going to be on November 2nd. And as we mentioned in our last episode, one of MAKO's initiatives is advancing the ball on next generation 911 issues. And we think this is going to be a very substantive discussion. We're going to have some local representation, some representation from the state board that kind of oversees 911, some senators, some delegates, everybody in a room, and we're going to talk about 911. Again, this is November 2nd, and we think this is going to be sort of a, a big hearing on what the state is thinking, what the Senate, what the House is thinking, and yeah. obviously MAKO will be there as well. Definitely. Very good. So that's our What's on Tap in Annapolis. Going to go ahead and end this episode of the Conduit Street podcast. We thank you for joining us, and we will be back soon. As always, thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Please go ahead and subscribe. Like the podcast. It really helps us get our message out there. And, of course, you can always listen on our Conduit Street blog. And, Michael, any closing thoughts? All good. I think uh, we covered one big topic, but honestly, you just put the ball on the tee. We should have an episode talking about 911 as well as school funding. Absolutely. We have a lot of stuff to talk about in the coming months. So until next time, signing off, Kevin and Michael. See you soon.